That was a beautiful song, Hannah. Thank you. It was great hearing harmony out in the audience. I'm just sitting up there listening to all these people singing harmony. I want to tell you an interesting factoid today I found out. You know what state in the whole United States has the longest, highest longevity rate? Minnesotans. Did you know that? We live longer than anybody in the United States. You know why? Because we're smart and we live in the frigid weather. Just like when you put hamburger, you know, in a freezer and it can last like six, seven, eight, nine months. We passed its expiration date. Everyone thinks we're dumb for living up here, but we're smart. We're the smart people. People always tell me, how do you live up there? I go, I like it, man. It keeps you well preserved. It keeps my skin tight. It keeps you alert, man. I could just have it be 20 every night, 50 every day. Anyway. What? Well, it can go below two. It has to do that in order to get these highs and lows. I want to welcome all of you tonight. I met a lot of new faces tonight and a lot of old faces and a lot of people coming back tonight. I haven't seen you for a while. So it's very, very nice to have all of you this evening. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight. You are the champion of heaven. You are our champion. You do make us brave. You make us fearless. You transform us through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Father, I want to ask you tonight that you'd speak to us in a special way. You know, there are, there are folks here tonight for the first time. There are others who have come back for a visit. But I know something, Lord. You and I know something. They're not here this evening by accident. You have something you want to speak to their heart. And I ask you tonight, Lord, that you would open up the word of God to us. I ask you that you'd teach us from the life of Paul this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. So a few weeks ago, I started a series entitled, The Bible People That Shaped Me. Now, some of you have not heard the first three installments. If you go to strongdisciple.com, you just look up, the Bible people that shaped me, and you, if you have a phone or whatever other thing you might use, an iPad, you can just touch it and it'll start to play. You can play it on your phone. It's phone-friendly, mobile-friendly, so I'd love for you to be able to hear them. But the reason I'm doing this is as a church, we've been going through a book right now entitled The Divine Mentor. <clears throat> it's a great book, by the way. Lots of you have been giving lots of wonderful feedback, and I know it's helping you. When I started my journey uh, with Christ almost 40 years ago, this fall will be 40 years ago, <clears throat> there was no book, The Divine Mentor. But I can tell you honestly, sincerely, that the Word of God and God himself and the people of the Bible have had a tremendous impact on my life personally. I have learned so much Sitting at the feet of David, for example, the last three weeks we went over the life of David. And I shared with you some of the profound ways in which he impacted my life. Say, TJ, could you turn this up a little bit more in the monitor? It's kind of like it just disappeared. Thank you. <clears throat> Tonight, I want to talk with you about the Apostle Paul. <clears throat> it would be an understatement for me to say <clears throat> that of all the people in Scripture... The Apostle Paul has had the most profound impact 
on my life. Now, just in case you're thinking, gee, is he ever going to talk about Jesus? I am. I am. Good Friday. I have to be gone next week to Grand Forks, North Dakota, to speak at one of our churches there. And so I'll skip a week. Carl will be here next week. And then the following week, I will finish this series, and we're going to talk about Jesus. But I've been focusing on, especially, ordinary individuals in the Bible whose lives God changed. And Paul is one of those individuals. Paul was approximately 31 years old when he came to know Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee. He was a religious fanatic. And Paul says some very honest things about his life. If you thought to yourself, you know, I'm one of those sinners. I'm one of those really sinful people. I've done some really bad things. All of us have to varying degrees. But sometimes, you know, when you come to a church and you sit around and you look around, you see all these nice people, and you think to yourself, boy, if someone knew what I had done, If someone knew what I'm doing, if someone knew what I struggle with, I don't think I'd be welcome here. Let me tell you a few things about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was a violent man. These are the things he says about himself. He says, I ravaged the church of God. I went from town to town, dragging out men and women from their homes whipping them publicly in the synagogue. I cast my vote to have them killed because they would not deny Christ. I beat them and I violently opposed them. And I did all that I could to ravage the Christians. That was Paul. I know it's hard to believe. It's hard to believe sometimes because we think, well, but he at least he believed in the Jewish religion, but that's not the point. The point was he was opposing God and he was bringing great harm on other human beings. He was a violent man. In other words, picture this for a moment, he was a little bit like a Jewish Taliban. Paul was a self-righteous, pompous, arrogant pig. And he had orders from the Jewish leaders to go and do these things. You can find this in Acts chapter 26 when Paul recounts his own testimony to King Agrippa. Paul had a tremendous impact and continues to have a tremendous impact on my life. I have studied his life. I have studied his writings. The Apostle Paul wrote the majority of of what we call the New Testament, certainly the majority of the epistles. He has had a profound impact on my life, his passion and his zeal for Christ, his rigorous discipline, his passion for the gospel, his simple way of life, his singular desire to know Jesus Christ, his devoted love for the Christians he served, his love for the church, his humble servant's heart, his zeal for preaching and teaching God's truth, and his understanding of God's grace and love have profoundly affected my life and who I am today. 
I saw in the Apostle Paul, and I still see today, the kind of man that I wanted to become, that I needed to become, and he became for me, and still is today, a spiritual mentor. There are a number of things in which Paul really impacted me. I'm going to go through most of them quickly because there's one that I chose tonight I really wanted to focus on. The first was Paul's conversion was dramatic and supernatural, and it changed the course of his life immediately. I related to that because some very similar things happened in my life. I'm not exaggerating. Paul, on his road to Damascus, was struck down by a great light, and Jesus talked to him, and it blinded him, and he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you? He said, I am Jesus Christ, who you're persecuting. Paul went blind. His companions heard a sound, saw the light, but they didn't understand. They took him to an upper room, and he waited there, and a man named Ananias came and gave him God's message. From that moment, that moment, that moment on, Paul no longer persecuted the church, but served the church. He no longer persecuted Christ, but preached Christ immediately. His life was revolutionized. I was 19. I was living a very carnal, very wicked, very immoral life. My conversion experience, my turning to God, happened over the course of 30 days. Let's just say, maybe one way to put it was, I had a harder heart than Paul. I know it's hard to believe, but, but in the course of that three months, God, through a series of supernatural events, almost took my life. Three different times, they were very bizarre type of things, um, out of the ordinary, strange, and they shook me up to the point That finally, at the end of that month, I got on my hands and knees near a river, and I told God, I repent. I'm giving you the rest of my life. I got in my car, immediately drove to Des Moines, broke up with the woman that I had been sleeping with, told her she'd never see me again, and began a devoted, passionate life that I have maintained and, in fact, increased for 40 years. I related to Paul. I related to his commitment. I related to his zeal. I mean, if you're going to believe something, if something's really true, then it ought to change your life. With Paul, there was no middle ground, and that really struck me. Much of the Christianity I had been exposed to was hypocrisy. It was like a game. It was guys chase the girls, girls chase the guys. I'm in a reality. And I saw that as I began to devour my Bible. I saw that in the life of Paul. Paul was a man of great weaknesses, and he had a terrible temper problem. I saw the same things in myself. And I'll get into some of that tonight. Paul, in fact, had a violent temper. Paul was overwhelmed by God's grace and forgiveness to him. He had been a very, very bad man. I related to this tremendously. I was profoundly, as the years went by, I was profoundly moved and transformed by the power of the grace and forgiveness of God. 
as I began to realize first what had happened with Paul, what God had forgiven Paul of. And I thought, my gosh, if God can forgive Paul of that, then God can forgive me. If that's what the gospel means to Paul, then that's what the gospel could mean to me. Paul was a man of great passion, evangelistic zeal, and conviction. And I was moved by that. I was moved by that. Paul was willing to put it all on the line. This was not a game to him. And he possessed great zeal. I don't know if you know this, but the Apostle Paul, by, by most biographers and researchers' accounts, of all they can find, even extra-biblically of him, was approximately four foot, eight inches tall. I want you to think about that for a moment. Most scholars do not believe he was even quite five foot tall. This man burned. We sang the song that he burned for you, burned for Jesus Christ. And he brought the good news of Jesus Christ and church and the gospel and an understanding of God literally now down through the ages to millions and millions, hundreds of millions because of his devotion. Paul loved Christ more than anything in the world. His greatest desire was to know God. Philippians 3, 7 through 9 has been a life passage for me. For I am determined, Paul says, for I want to know Christ. And I've suffered the loss of all things in view of the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And as a young man, now I'm not exaggerating, I was 19 years old, and I read that passage, and I read another where Paul wrote, for I'm determined to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. And I just got on my face before God and said, I'm going to give the rest of my life, Lord, to know you. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to understand you. I want friendship with you. I want you. You're first. You will always remain first. And in all these years of marriage, 36 in May, he has been first. He's my first love. He's the one I lean on most of all. And I was profoundly impacted that Paul, you may not realize this, but for many years, Paul was on the backside of a desert just with God, just with Christ, getting to know his Savior. And then for many years he lived in his own hometown of Tarsus, getting to know his Savior. And I realized, I realized as a young man, you may or may not understand this today, you're going to have choices to make in your life. And many young people today, I, want, I don't want you to take this wrong, but I want to be frank with you. You really build your life around all your social connections. I did not. I built my life around Christ. And then, of course, yes, I was devoted to fellowship and I was involved in the church, but I was not a man given to playing games. I was a man of purpose, a young man of purpose, a young man of focus. And you need to understand that if you want God to use your life 
And that's all that mattered to me. I want God to use my life. Then it takes time alone with God. Talking to God. Studying about God. Learning about God. Practicing the things of God. While your friends, they're playing games. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that you don't have social activities. It doesn't mean you're not devoted to fellowship. I was. I was very devoted to the believers. Most of you have probably never done this, so I'll give you a little challenge. Go home. Many of you probably don't have a budget. And it's really a wise thing to know. If I ask you, how much money do you bring home every week, every month? Most people don't even know. They're like, I, I don't know. I don't know. So get it down on paper. But here's the, here's the big thing. Most of you don't realize you have 168 hours in a week, every week, just like everybody else. And with commute time and your work, if you're a normal person, it's about 45, 46 hours. Most of you are getting only about six or seven hours a night of sleep, if that. If you subtract the time you eat, the time you're in the shower, the time you go to work, almost all of you have another 40 hours free. Did you realize, hey, let me blow your mind with this. Did you realize that everybody in this room has 104 days a year off work? No, no, Mark. Wait, where, how do you say that? Saturday and Sunday <laughs> times 52 is 104. What do you do with yours? <clears throat> what do you do with your free time? Well, there's lots of things to do, and there's lots of good things to do. But one of the things you've got to determine to do is to spend time with God. I want to know God. I want to understand these people, these Bible people. I want them to speak into my life. I want to hang out with them. So I can either choose to go hang out with them or do that or, you know, water ski. Or I can go hang out with Paul. I, I chose Paul. Often. Not always. Not always. But here, here is what I want to focus on for the rest of the night. I'm going to tell you a story. I'm going to weave this in the story. So I was 26 years old at the time. I was going back doing my math to make sure I had this. So I'd been married about three years, and um, I knew. Other people didn't really know, but I knew that Kathy and I, there was some struggles going on in our marriage. They mostly had to do with me, to be honest. And, um, you know, I was a worship leader. I was singing. I, in 1979, made an album. A whole bunch of people from my church, we got together, and they made this album. And we were doing concerts on the campus. I was sharing the gospel. And Kathy and I were crazy about each other and in love. And we got married. And three weeks later, she conceived. And our first daughter was born. Kathy was actually pregnant in the studio when we did the album. <clears throat> And I, I, I love God. I love God. And, I, and I, 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 I loved Kathy. thought I loved Kathy. <clears throat> anyway, those first three years, they were hard for a number of reasons. They were hard financially. The first year we, we married, I grossed $4,500. I had no insurance with my first three children. They were, they were, they were circumstantially, I won't go into it, they were very, very difficult times. <clears throat> I had a friend I had been in business with, and <clears throat> at the time I was working two jobs. I was working 75-hour weeks. And my friend, he's a little older than I am, uh, he called me up. He said, Mark, um, I was wondering if I could come over and talk to you. 
I, I thought he wanted to come over and get some advice because I was kind of a deacon in our church and <clears throat> I had helped this guy before. And so I said, well, okay. I had about one hour before I went to my next job. <laughs> he came over to the house. He said, well, can we go sit out in the porch or somewhere alone? I said, oh, sure. So we'd sit down and in a rather, I'm just being honest, in a rather tactless way, he said, well, I had something I wanted to share with you, Mark. He said, I think I'll start with this scripture. It's in James if you are wise and understand God's ways, live a life of steady goodness so that only good deeds will pour forth. But if you're bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't brag about being wise. That's the worst kind of lie. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Forever, wherever you find jealousy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every kind of evil. And then he looked at me and said, Mark, that describes you. He said, you're demonic, Mark. <clears throat> you're selfish. You're this, you're that. Well, now, <clears throat> there's, there's some deep lessons here that I hope you'll pick up, but I can't, I can't focus on tonight because I don't have a lot of time. The first thing I did was I didn't respond. I did not get angry. I wanted to get really angry. I was hurt. I was, I was really hurt. This is a guy at help. We'd been in business together. And in fact, <clears throat> I knew I could sense, let's just put it that way, <clears throat> something was off here. Now, uh, something is weird. I knew it was weird. It, it seemed like he was deliberately trying to hurt me. Guess what? Years later, after I became a pastor, I saw him at a conference. He walked up to me. He said, Mark, can we talk? I said, sure, brother. And he, he took me aside and he said, I, I need to beg your forgiveness. I said, for what? He said, do you remember the night he came over to your porch? I said, sure I do. It was a life-changing moment in my life. I said, brother, before you say anything, you need to know this. I've never regretted it. That moment what began, it was the catalytic moment in my life that changed me. He said, well, Mark, I wanted to hurt you. He said, you know, brother, I wondered that. It sure felt like that. He said, there was malice in my heart, Mark. I said, well, I wondered that too. But I said, you know what? I hugged him with tears in my eyes. I said, it doesn't even matter. <clears throat> you did something for me that night that was critical in my life. Well, anyway, so that's, that was the genesis. That's what happened. <clears throat> so he left. We spent about 20 minutes together. <clears throat> and now I go to go to my job. My job was Zap Video Arcade, where I sat from 6 in the evening, or walked, I tried to walk, I hate just sitting, <clears throat> till 2 in the morning. I made change and gave tokens to college students and gave them Mountain Dew or Pepsi from the pop machine or sold them potato chips while they played video games. <clears throat> and I, I was, I don't know how to put this, but I was like I was gut shot. <clears throat> and I went up to the video arcade that night and I'm, sitting on the stool, and I felt like a 1,000 pounds is just on my back. And I was like, I was kind of shell-shocked, and I was, um, but if you know me, and, and again, many of you don't, that's okay. My mind, once it starts going, it don't shut off. It's just, and I'm just, things are running through my mind, a lot of things. And I don't know why I did this, uh, other than to say I think it was God. I, I know it was God. I had my Bible. I'd taken my Bible in my backpack, and so um, 
you know, part of the night, I'm being really honest with you, I, I'm, a, I'm an artistic person. I'm, I've had to learn to get a harder shell. Let's put it that way. Not a harder heart, but a harder shell. I've had to learn how to deal with insults. But at the time, my heart was almost broken by this. And I was crying. I'm sitting up there. People are coming up. What's wrong with you? Um, nothing. <laughs> Never mind. And I'd make them change. And I felt like an idiot. But I couldn't go home. I couldn't quit. I didn't have time off. I had, to t- I had babies at home. I had a wife at home. I needed every dollar I could possibly get. So when there was a lull in the action, I opened my Bible, and I felt compelled to read 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak in any language of heaven and earth, but I didn't love others, I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, if I knew all mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything, but I didn't love others, what good would I be? If I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to mountains and make them move without love, I'd be no good to anybody. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, it would be of no value whatsoever. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not angry. It keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It's never glad about injustice. It rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never love, never fails, never loses faith, is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. Love endures forever. Let love be your greatest aim. I put that down, and I just could not hold back the tears. I just like, God, open my eyes. This is, this is the writing of the Apostle Paul. This is from Mr. Brutal himself, Mr. Violent, Selfish, Arrogant, Pompous Apostle Paul. Has put down on paper the most eloquent description of love that has ever been written. <clears throat> and I'm reading it like for the first time. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, God start talking to me. Right there, wherever you are, God can talk to you. <clears throat> he said, Mark, do you remember the other night when your daughter Celeste, some of you know my daughter Celeste, <clears throat> she was about two at the time, two and a half. <clears throat> and one of her favorite things to do was pull open a drawer in the kitchen where the pots and pans were, take a wooden spoon and hit them. And it was, it was obnoxious. At least it was loud. And when I only had an hour between my jobs and I was shot, I just wanted to lay on the couch and I used to eat like an otter. I'd eat the food. I'd put a towel right here, eat my food, close my eyes, then get up and clean up and then go to work. Back to work. And I remember one day, a few days before, and God's been bringing this all to mind, I, I yelled into the kitchen to Kathy, not like rageful, but I just said, hey, hey, Kathy, can you get her to stop that? That's obnoxious. And I'm sitting on this stool, and God said to me, Mark, the only obnoxious noise in this family is you. Your life, Mark, is an obnoxious noise. And, and I, re- I mean, I just about, I wanted to go home so bad. 
I felt so embarrassed in my tears, but I knew this was a divine moment. Because you see, men and women, listen really carefully. I really wanted God to use me, and I wanted to be a man of faith. And I knew God wanted to use me prophetically to teach his word and preach his word. And I was focused on those things. And Mark said to me, God God said to me, Mark, you'll never be more than you are at home. You're never more, Mark, than what you are towards Kathy. Do you love her? Do you let go of the wrongs? Do you even notice? Do you demand your own way? Ooh, God really got me with that one. Oh, man. Oh, man. That was part of the whole problem, you see. In a particular area of our relationship, I wanted what I wanted when I wanted it. And God started to touch these really private, personal areas of my life. And it was almost crushing. Because I looked in the spiritual mirror and I realized I'm not a patient man. I'm not a patient man, Lord. I love you, but I'm not a patient man. I get demanding, Lord, about things. Sometimes, Lord, in my relationship with Kathy, I'm so full of rage. I'm so full of rage. I'm not exaggerating. There were times as a young man, I tore a bedroom apart with my bare hands. Just full of rage. Full of selfishness. I loved God and I wanted to follow God, but there was this dichotomy. And God brought me to this text, and this text began to weigh upon me day and night and day and night and day and night. I realized that I, things that Kathy would do that bothered me, I kept a record, and we have fights. I, I mean, I have a tremendous. By the grace of God, I have a tremendous memory. It's not perfect, but boy, can I remember things. And I just throw them back in her face. And there were times I know I just crushed her. And God lovingly but firmly took me behind the woodshed. I said, you, you got to, you've got, Mark, problems. You don't understand, Mark, that gifts mean nothing. Talent means nothing, Mark, without a life privately of love. Consistently, you love her. What do you like behind those closed doors? I know men that are CEOs of their company, and the people that work for them think they're just God walking on water. But behind doors at home, they're a moron. They're a monster. Their kids can't stand them because they're a jackass. Doesn't mean diddly to God. You're nothing. And this hit me. This hit me hard. It hit me hard. Because I was striving, and I was trying to grow, and God just laid me out and said, Mark, I love you. You're nothing. You're nothing. You give everything you have to the poor, Mark. Well, I had a friend one time. Oh, bless his heart. He said, Mark, 
You're, an, you're a devil at home and you're an angel outside the walls of this place. Everybody thinks you're great, but at home, you're a devil. And I never forgot it. And the Apostle Paul began to speak to me, and I began to study his life, and I began to see the struggles he had and what he'd been like, and I began to think, well, God, if you could, I mean, this guy became so loving. He became the epitome of, of a man who was not God, but who loved others and sacrificed for others, and he was genuine, and he, and he dealt with injustices, and he took it. I want to be like that man. Well, I began to ask the Lord, you know, Lord, you got to help me. How, how do I become this man? How do I become this man? So I, began, I just meditated. I just went over these passages. Every, this passage, I went over and over. And I, let, I just let God fillet me. God loves you. Let me put it this way. He's, he surgically will fillet you. He'll never cut you to pieces with a sword and lead you to bleed out. But he was surgically working on me, working on me, working on me, working on me. And I began to ponder. And then one day it hit me. One day it hit me. God, of course, brought to mind 1 John. God is love. And the only thing I learned and remember from algebra was if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. And I thought to myself, my gosh, my gosh, God doesn't keep track of my wrongs. God doesn't get irritated with me. God doesn't demand his own way with me. God wants my best interest. And I began to see that this description of love was also the description of the God that I said I knew, but I really didn't believe he felt that way about me. I really didn't. Then, then God brought to mind, we know love by this that he laid down his love for us. And we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. And that come to know means experientially like a husband knows his wife, you know, in an intimate way. Well, I didn't know that. I just kind of knew the gospel, but I had never been personally like, I mean, transformed by the love of God. So once again, the apostle Paul came to the rescue, Romans 12. Do not be conformed to this world any longer, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so I had a dear friend who was a pastor. I really trusted him. I looked up to him. He had done some messages on the love of God and the forgiveness of God. And I remember hearing them. And the first time I heard them, I thought, well, that can't even be true. I mean, it sounds like heresy. But it sure sounds good. <laughs> so I got, the, I got the messages. I didn't tell Kathy. I didn't tell anybody. I did this privately, and I got a little Walkman. In those days, you didn't have an iPod or a smartphone. They had a Walkman. And I put these little cassettes in it, and I listened to one every single day for 365 days. I averaged 14 hours a week brainwashing my mind on the way God really was. And within six months, Kathy began to notice such a significant difference in my life. She wanted to start listening to them. And then other friends that were around me, they started to notice, what is going on with you? And I just could not help myself. Here's what God's doing. Here's what I'm learning. Here's how he's changing my life. And then I came to this verse that says this, those who are forgiven much love much. And then it all came together. For I realized that Paul understood the forgiveness of God and in light of all that Paul had been forgiven. He loved God so much 
And I had missed that. And I didn't believe that. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I just could not believe. I didn't want to believe that God could forgive the monstrous way that I had behaved behind the four walls of my home. It was very difficult for me to believe. Finally, I realized it was just arrogance. It was just arrogance, Mark. It's just arrogant. Christ died for that sin. And I began to apply the gospel to that. And I began to go over this text. And I just end by saying this. The last, <clears throat> that was 32 and a half years ago. The last 32 years of my life had been a pursuit to become a more loving man. I trust that God will use this to speak to your heart. This book and the people you come to know in here can radically change your life if you listen, if you're honest, if you're humble, if you choose to sit at their feet, they will mentor you and you will be transformed. Please remember, I won't be here next week, but the following week, Good Friday, I'll finish this, the Bible people who shape me, and we'll talk about Jesus. Heavenly Father, I just thank you tonight. You're a God who transforms lives. You transform my life, Lord. You're still transforming my life. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I would not even still be a married man today if not for the transforming power of Jesus Christ. If I had stayed what I was at 26... Even though, yes, I was a Christian and I read my Bible and I tried to do Christian things, but if I had stayed the way I was privately in our home, our marriage would have ended. I would have destroyed it. Oh God, I know today, I know today, humbly, tenderly, that there are many here tonight living, honestly, a hypocritical life. You want to speak to them. You want to help them also realize you can move this mountain. You can serve these people. But if you can't love your roommate, if you can't love your spouse, your husband, this person in your life, you're nothing. It doesn't mean anything. Change us, oh God, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.